You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. We are starting 2 Peter today. So we've made it through 1 Peter, and now we're starting 2 Peter. And um, yeah, I'm really excited about that. Yeah, but basically, like as we go through Second Peter, it's going to be a basic introduction. You know, that's, that's usually how letters start, an introduction of who's writing it, who they're writing to, what they're going to be talking about throughout the letter, right? And so we're going to be doing that as well. Um, but more importantly as well, I think, you know, today's passage will be an important reminder for all of us of what we've been given freely through Christ. And so I hope that as, as we talk about that, you know, our hearts will be stirred up and uh, we'll just yeah, be set on fire for, for, for who Jesus is and, and what he's done for us and what he has for us. So let's go through Second Peter 1, 1 to 4. I'm going to pray before we read. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for this church. Lord God, I, pray, I just want to pray an extra blessing on the mothers here this morning and, and the ones that aren't here either. Lord God, I thank you that there's such uh, amazing examples of your love, your sacrificial, your giving love for us, Lord. And, and yeah, so I just pray that you would continue to, to bless the moms here, continue to, to help them to grow in who you've called them to be, Lord God. And I pray that... Um, yeah, their, their children would, would be a blessing to them as well, Lord, and that, that especially today that they would be honored as they deserve that, Lord God. And yeah, and as we go through your word this morning, Lord, I uh, pray that you would write it on our hearts and in our minds, Lord, that we would be changed and molded uh, more and more into your image so that uh, we would be a church that can proclaim your name in, in an amazing way and advance your kingdom, Lord. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so 2 Peter 1, 1 to 4. So Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So according to uh, Relevant Magazine, an article that they just released this week, uh, Barner Research Group uh, just recently released some stats on Christians in America. And the stats stated alarmingly that only 17% of Christians polled have a biblical worldview. Only 17%. And, and what they mean by biblical worldview is, among other things, but more specifically, one who believes in the truth and promises of the Bible that absolute moral truth exists, that God is the creator, that one cannot earn their way into heaven, but that only through Jesus, who lived a sinless life and died on the cross, can we be saved. So only 17% of confessing Christians believe and live by those truths. Only 17% of Christians believe the Bible and what it says to be sufficient for both salvation and living purposeful lives. In other words, an alarming number of Christians in America, 83% to be exact, need to be reading through Second Peter. 
Of course, the Apostle Peter wrote this letter for the early Christian church because they were being manipulated by false teachers. And these false teachers were trying to convince them that they needed more than Jesus, more than just the word to live purposeful lives and holy lives, right? They're telling them they need things like legalism, uh, good deeds, other gods, existential knowledge, money, all all these things, right? That's what these false teachers are trying to convince them of. But judging by this Barna research stat, 2 Peter seems to be just as relevant today as it was back then. In fact, the article goes on to state, The percentage being so low, again, 70%, means practicing Christians have accepted many more worldviews, including ones based on other religions. Then it goes on to say that 61% of practicing Christians strongly agree with at least one of the ideas of quote-unquote new spirituality, that everyone is praying to the same God or ultimate being, regardless of the name of that God or ultimate being. And 27% agree that the meaning and purpose come from becoming one with all that is. And 32% of practicing Christians say that good deeds are rewarded with good and bad deeds receive bad in turn, which is karma, which is not grace. It goes on as well to say that one-fifth of Christians believe that meaning and purpose also come from working hard enough to earn as much as possible so you can make the most of life. While 54% agreed with the postmodernist statement that no one can know for certain what meaning and purpose there is to life. That's sad. 23% strongly agreed that morality is subjective. And 15% strongly agreed with the statement that if your beliefs offend someone or hurt their feelings, they are wrong which would actually mean that everyone's beliefs are wrong because everyone's beliefs offend somebody else. So, common sense there. But anyways, about these findings, Brooke Hempel, Senior Vice President of Barna, writes, the challenge with competing worldviews is that there are fragments of similarities to some Christian teachings, and some may recognize and latch on to these ideas, not realizing they are distortions of biblical truths. Informed thinking is essential to developing and maintaining a healthy biblical worldview and faith. This is the goal of Second Peter. To give Christians a healthy and properly informed worldview and understanding of their faith. More specifically, though, he wants to remind them that through Jesus alone, through the word of God, we've been granted all we need to live lives of grace, purpose, peace, and godliness. And he's reminding them of this firstly, again, so that they can live the lives they're called to live, but secondly, so that they don't get pulled away into useless and empty worldviews and ideologies. As we get deeper into the letter, we're going to be discussing more about the damage and problem that is caused by embracing other Doctrines or worldviews or spiritualities with the intention of either mixing them with the gospel or replacing them with the gospel. So we'll get into that more in a couple of weeks. But like Peter, I want, I want to start out by just underlining all that we have and all that we've been given through Jesus. So that right off the bat, foundationally, right, we can move forward with the knowledge that, yes, in him, we have everything we need to live eternally and to live abundantly. Besides, Peter's going to point out later again, 
later again in the letter that these false teachers themselves that are trying to convince them that they need all these other other things other worldviews and stuff their own lives don't even reflect that living outside of a christ-centered or biblical worldview is any better but in fact it's actually worse and in light of our present culture on that subject thomas schreiner writes i see no evidence that contemporary people who've abandoned the scripture live happier or more fulfilled lives. And I don't want to get into the stats again in this regard, but if you look it up, the data clearly shows that in cultures that are putting down their Bibles for other worldviews like postmodernity, atheism, moral liberalism, new ageism, all the isms, there's an ever-increasing amount of stress, mental health, Anxiety, narcissism, identity issues, divorce, suicide, violence, and intolerance. Yes, intolerance, not tolerance. And the list goes on. So people today, including Christians, sadly, are moving from ideology to ideology, mixing and matching them, looking for true purpose and value and meaning and identity and peace and happiness and all those things in self-help books, the latest New Age spirituality trends that we'll forget about in six months, in wealth and prosperity, in TED Talks, right, in, in popular social norms, in other religions, in, you know, and they might be getting glimpses of purpose and peace and meaning and ways to find your best life now in these things, but they aren't finding anything that lasts or completely satisfies or completely gives them identity and purpose. Because nothing but Jesus will. Nothing but Jesus will. Timothy Keller writes, Two things we want so desperately, glory and relationship, can coexist only in God. And Peter's proclaiming here in Second Peter that only through Jesus Christ, who alone gives us access to God the Father, are we granted all we can ever need and all we deeply long for to live the life we're created to live. Verse 3 again, it says, His divine power, Jesus' divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. All things... We're granted all things. We don't need anything else. We don't need to combine it with anything else. Jesus is enough. In regards to those who haven't received this truth, and are still searching, Keller again writes, either, either we don't grasp the truth, or we don't connect it to our lives so that it creates soundness or spiritual health in us. So yeah, we need to grasp this truth that Jesus is enough, not only, not only in our heads, but in our hearts as well, so that we can truly live the lives we're called to live, so that we can know and experience the true source and supply of, of purpose and peace and eternal life. So for the rest of this message, we're, we're going to talk about all these things that, that Peter mentions here that we've been given through Jesus. And the list isn't exhaustive, obviously. There's way more than what he mentions here, but these are like the foundational things. But more importantly, we're also going to talk about how we can take a hold of them, how we can grab a hold of these things that we've been granted through Jesus. So first, how do we do that? How do we receive and grasp all that God gives to us? 
And uh, if we look at verses 1, 2, and 3, uh, they give us two specific answers. Um, the first answer, we'll start with in verse 1. We'll read that again as it gives us the answers, how, how, we, can, how we get and, and grasp all that God gives us. So Simon says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. So this is an introduction, right? He's saying, he's, he's saying, I'm writing to you, right, basically. But it's, it's not just naming the recipients of the letter here, right? He's pointing out to them that because they've been saved by our God and Savior Jesus Christ and covered in Jesus' righteousness, then everything that he says next belongs to them. That's what he's saying. Everything that he says next belongs to them, which means, first of all, that to receive all that God has for us, it starts with salvation through Jesus Christ, to believe and follow him. It starts with salvation through Jesus Christ. We could look everywhere, again, philosophy, religions, no religion, try everything and and anything under the sun, but we won't know the pleasures and glory of God. We won't find complete satisfaction. We won't find eternal purpose until we surrender our lives to Jesus in faith. John fourteen six. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So it starts with Jesus, with salvation through Jesus Christ. And, and what I really love about what Peter says here as well is, is how he's emphasizing the fact that everyone, everyone who's been covered in Jesus' righteousness can get all that God has granted. Unlike most other religions and, and cults and spiritualities and, and whatever else, which have secret truths, right, and, and, and knowledge that only the elite or the upper echelon or, or uber-spiritual people can attain or are allowed to know, right? If you get to a certain level, then, 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 then you get to know the, the secrets of transcendence, right? It's not like that for us in Christ. We're all in equal standing, Right? No one, regardless of role or title, is on a pedestal that's closer to Jesus. And, he, and, and we have to think about this. He's saying this as an apostle, a capital A apostle, one who was personally called and named by Jesus. So he has authority. He has authority. Peter could have used that authority here to control others in some sort of spiritual hierarchy, like he was privy to more knowledge and understanding than everyone else because of his title. But no, he starts off the letter by humbly reminding them that he's not just Peter the Apostle, but he's Simon the Servant. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle. The Simon and the servant come first before the names that Jesus gave him. He's just as undeserving and foolish and blind and sinful as anyone else. Maybe more so. And therefore saved the same way through the grace and blood of Jesus, just like everyone else. Through Christ, we're all saved the same way. And that means we all have equal standing and equal access to the glory and excellence of God. That means we've all been granted Everything God gives and reveals to us. Everything we need to live the lives he's called us to live. Though in the same vein, we also have to recognize that everything that's granted to us isn't like poured out onto us all at once. 
we probably wouldn't be able to handle that. But the point is that we actually need to personally make an effort and the guidance of the Holy Spirit to, to grow in our understanding and relationship with God as well. It's like, it's like if we're all given access to the same library and, you know, the library has been locked forever and suddenly it's unlocked and we all get to go in this library, right? And, and every book on the shelf is accessible for everyone to read, no matter what their status or, or gender or whatever, right? Everyone can read it, any of the, any of the books. But just walking into the library and being at equal standing with everyone doesn't, doesn't instantly make us knowledgeable, right? The library has been opened up to everyone, but now we need to make an effort to read the books and understand the books. And in a similar way, through salvation in Jesus, we've been granted all the things that we need, but that doesn't mean we get all the things right now in this moment. Right? We receive what's been granted over time as God promises it, as God wills it, as we need it, as we ask for it, and most importantly, as we grow in our knowledge and relationship with the one who gives it. Which leads us to the second part of how we can grasp all that God gives. And both verses 2 and 3 use the same phrasing here, and they tell us how. Verse 2 says, In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, and verse 3, Through the knowledge of him, who called us to his own glory and excellence through the knowledge of God. In my opinion, I think Peter's using the word knowledge here to combat the Greco-Roman and Gnostic type religions of the day, which taught either that emptying yourself of truth and knowledge or the opposite, gaining more knowledge will lead to transcendence and godliness or whatever, right? Or even just happiness and purpose. But Peter's argument here is that it's only through the knowledge of him who called us. It's only through the knowledge of God. As Schreiner writes again, only God can make people godly. It's not our abilities, it's not our works, it's not our wealth of knowledge, our emptying ourselves of knowledge. It's knowledge of God. And how do we know God? Again, through knowing Jesus. John fourteen seven, Jesus says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. If we know Jesus, we know God. This is why P- Peter clearly calls Jesus God in verse 1, and then writes in verse 3 that our source of godliness and eternal life is through his divine power. Jesus' divinity is the source of all things that have been granted to us. Or as Schreiner again writes, everything needed for eternal life is mediated through the knowledge of Christ who calls believers to himself. And again, we have to understand what Peter means by knowledge here. He means primarily to know, to know God, to know Jesus. Jesus calls us to himself to know him. So knowledge of him isn't just education about Jesus, because as we know, there there are certainly many theologians, and as the Bible says, demons even, that have great knowledge of scripture and doctrine and theology, and they know these things off by heart, but they don't actually know or follow Jesus. So this knowledge of Christ firstly refers to having an affecting and life-changing encounter with Jesus that starts and continues from the day we're saved by him, and it goes into eternity. It's about growing in our personal relationship with Jesus. And how do we do that? How do we grow in our relationship with him? There's lots of ways, but 
The main ones are through his Holy Spirit at work in us, through obedience to him, right? He says, you are my friends if you obey my commandments, right? Through serving the needy, right? Jesus says when we serve the least, we serve him. Also through prayer and, and talking and listening to him, through worship, through fellowship with other believers, and of course, through meditating on his word. That's how we grow in relationship with him. But with that being said, we also need to be growing in our understanding and knowledge of him as well. Right? You can't know someone without knowing about them. Right? You can know about them without knowing them, but you can't know someone without knowing about them. Relationship and doctrine, they go hand in hand. The two are inseparable. One without the other is incomplete. And, and without one or the other, our faith can feel dry and empty. Right? If we don't have a relationship with Jesus, we're just following commandments, our faith is going to feel dry and empty. Right? Or if we're just all spiritual, right, then, then we could be led in weird directions spiritually because we don't have a solid doctrine. We don't actually know who Jesus is and, we're, and we can be opened up to deception or led astray or whatever, right? So we also need to be growing in our understanding of who he is. And that's why God gave us his word, the Bible, so that we can know him and know what he's promised. And for those who are more intellectually minded here, Fear not. Peter's not telling us to be closed-minded or blind in our faith. He's saying the complete opposite. By using the word knowledge, right, he's telling us to use our brains, to use our minds as well as our hearts, to use our intellect, to ask questions, to think on the word. Keller writes again, Christianity tells you that you get all that's granted By thinking very hard, learning, grasping, rejoicing, and resting in the truths of the word of God. As it says in Philippians, you know, all that is good, think on these things. The primary word there is think. saying use your brains. And really, the more knowledge we have about Jesus, the more we're thinking about him. The more our minds that captive on him, the more we'll want to know him and be like him. And on this subject, I want to say that I've been a Christian for most of my 35 years of life. I grew up in the church. I grew up reading the Bible. I have a theology degree. It's been my job to learn and teach the word for seven years. And still, pretty much every single time I open the Bible... I learn something new or I'm blown away with what it says about Jesus and and who he is and what he's done. The wealth of knowledge in the Bible is endless. It's endless. So read your Bibles. Grow in your knowledge of him. But again, theological or doctrinal knowledge has to be paired with knowing him personally or it'll just be empty. In contrast to that, knowledge of Jesus combined with relationship with Jesus will set our hearts on fire to know him more, to serve him more, and to receive in faith more of what he has for us. So what does he have for us then? What have we been granted through the knowledge of Jesus Christ? I have four four points here. So what have we been granted? Number one, through knowing Jesus 
It says we inherit the promises of God. Fun fact, there are thousands of promises of God. Thousands. And through Jesus, we're granted them all. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Through Jesus, we inherit all the promises of God. And God is faithful to keep them. In fact, even when we doubt, even when we're weak, even when we waver in faith, even when we sin, God's promises, they never change. They never waver. So, of course, yeah, we're going to say our amen and glory to God for that, right? So, first, through knowing Christ, we've been granted the inheritance of all God's promises. Number two, through knowing Jesus, we're granted grace and peace. So, grace is being given what we don't deserve. And everything God gives to us, especially our salvation through Jesus Christ, is exactly that. It's grace. Every blessing, grace. Every gift, grace. Every answer to prayer, grace. Every nugget of wisdom, every evil turn for good, every morsel of food on our plate, grace. This church body, grace. Our life, grace. And of course, it's all been granted to us again through Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 1, 9-10 says, God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's grace. And similarly, peace in this context is peace between us and God. And Jesus, again, won won that for us at the cross. We were enemies of God, but at the cross, he took our sin upon himself. Now we're covered in his righteousness. Now we have peace with God. Now we can know God. But also because of that, God's presence is with us. and, And so we can always know that peace. And, and, and ask for that peace through any and every circumstance. Philippians 4, 7-9 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things and the god of peace will be with you so again uh, as i mentioned before as we as we grow in the knowledge of jesus as we learn and ponder and think about these good things that is all he is and all he's done and as we practice what he teaches us in faithful obedience, we'll not only experience more of his grace and peace, but it'll actually be multiplied to us, as Peter says, and often in ways that we don't understand or we don't expect. Number three, through knowing Jesus, we're granted eternal life. The gifts keep coming, right? Through knowing Jesus, we're granted eternal life. When Peter talks about life and godliness, the life part is referring most likely to eternal life. 
And he, and he talks about this later in Second Peter, so I'm not going to go into it too much. But as, as we see in First Peter uh, as well, and, and in a lot of the other letters, uh, Peter and the apostles all, often always, often always, usually view everything with the lens of the hope that we have in Jesus coming again and raising us up with him in eternity. That's always in their mind. They view everything with that lens, that Jesus is coming back, that we're going to get raised up with him in resurrection life. And Titus 3, 6-7 concurs with that, where it says, He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because of his grace, there's the word grace again, he declared us righteous and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. So through knowing Jesus, we inherit eternal life. And finally, number four, through knowing Jesus, we have the power to live godly lives. Pretty much any time eternal life is mentioned in the New Testament, it's always preceded, I use the word always again, it's usually preceded or followed by a call to live godly, Christ-like, and Christ-exalting lives. So while it's true that we won't know the fullness and perfection of eternal life until Jesus comes again, it's implying that we're still called and enabled by his Holy Spirit to live out the new lives that we have. As it says, we partake of his divine nature. And that doesn't mean we become divine, we don't become gods, but we start participating in God's divinity, in his likeness, in his purpose, in his glory, even now, even today. And again, the more we grow in Jesus and in the knowledge of who he is, the more we'll live and act like him. And next week, we'll actually be expanding on what it looks like to live a godly life. Um, because as I said, when it talks about eternal life, it goes into talking about living a godly life. And that's exactly what happens in Second Peter. So I'm not going to get too much into it today, but for now I want to point out that this passage is also reminding us that if God's called us through Jesus to live godly lives, then he's the one that has and who will continue to empower us to live it. It's by his divine power, not ours. Philippians 1.6 says, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So only through knowing Jesus, by the power of his Holy Spirit, can we live the life that he's called us to live. So to sum it all up, through knowing Jesus, we inherit all of God's promises. We get grace and peace multiplied to us. We get eternal life. We get empowered to live a godly life. Even now, we get all these things granted to us. But the one question that we haven't asked or answered yet is why? Why does God grant us all of these things? Right? We don't deserve, we don't really deserve any of them. Any of it. But yet he grants these free gifts to us through Jesus. And I saved this part for last because I think it's the most important truth for us to grasp and remember and take hold of. And Peter writes here in this passage that God has freely granted to us these things. Not because we deserve it. Not because we've earned it. But simply because of who he is. That's who he is. Because of his great promises. 
because of his glory and excellence, because of Jesus' righteousness, we get these free gifts. In other words, all that God freely offers to us, including his son, he gives to us because he faithfully and unconditionally loves us. And he desires to be in relationship with us. And that life-bringing love, of course, was proven to us and completely opened up to us through the cross. As, we've been say- as I've been saying this whole sermon, it's through Jesus. It's all through Jesus. All we need has been granted to us through Jesus. Romans 5, 8 to 10 says this, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Let's pray. Jesus, we were singing this morning, only you. It's only you. And Lord, I pray that you would write that truth in our heart and in our minds, Lord God. That we would truly believe and know that and live that out. That only because of you do we have everything we need to live the lives that you've called us to live. That we can have purpose and value and identity and and meaning and eternal life. That we can inherit your promises and know you. And the list goes on, Lord God. You, you are a God who gives. And I thank you that, that you gave everything. You gave your life for us, Lord. Lord, for those this morning that, that, that just hasn't become real in their hearts, I pray that you would draw them to you this morning and make that real for them, Lord. is only you. Only you satisfy Jesus. We thank you. And we thank you that you made that possible through the cross. Amen.